0: Today on Motley Fool Money, we're all gonna take a deep breath because this is one of those times when stock investors need to remember: this is the business we've chosen. You got this. Now let's go to work. I'm Chris Hill, joined by Motley Fool senior analyst Jason Moser. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Later in the show, Bill Mann will be stopping by to take a closer look at China's middle class and investing opportunities. Let's start with the market in general. And I saw something over the weekend, a financial firm compiled research on the language used during earnings conference calls and they've been doing this for nearly a decade. And 2021 was a record in terms of profanity used <laughs> on conference calls. And I saw that, and I thought, boy, if the market continues to fall, then uh, this earnings season alone might obliterate that record. Uh, <laughs> as you and I are recording this in the middle of the day on Monday, year to date and I look, it's early. It's still January, but year-to-date, the Dow is down 8.5%, the S&P 500 down 11%, the Nasdaq down 16%. and This is one of those times, Jason, where as long-term stock investors, we got to take a deep breath and remind ourselves, this is the cost of admission and it doesn't feel good and I don't like opening up my portfolio and seeing almost entirely red. But this is the cost of doing business. Yep, I I mean you you put it you put it, I think, perfectly there, and and
1: uh, I'm with you. I I mean, I don't like seeing all of my holdings, you know, getting pummeled. (laughs) But uh, it it is the cost of doing business. It is it is just it it is the way it is. You got to get used to it. If you can't handle it, then you need to. Probably just just invest in something like you know ETFs or index funds that, that that can help sort of smooth that out a little bit. But this is the cost of doing business, as you said, and. Um I, I will I will go back to just a, a few weeks ago Chris I mean you remember our, for our 2020 uh, 2022 preview show I, I said hey don't be surprised if this is a down year for the market I mean you, you have that that sort of old saw that, that talks about one of, of every three years in the market is is down on average. And uh, it, it is just it is just one of those things. I mean, I, it, we've we've been talking a lot. I feel like a lot over the last several years uh, about about a lot of these valuations. And I mean, there are just a lot of valuations that have just good businesses. But man, it seems like a lot of success was really was really pulled forward, and um, that that's for a number of, of reasons. I think there was uh, certainly the, the interest rate argument, and now we're seeing that sort of play out here because you're, you're seeing. Uh, investment banks like Goldman Sachs even talking about now that m- maybe even even we see more than four interest rate hikes this year, more than four. And and you know that that's something I think that uh, freaks freaks a lot of people out. It, it causes some knee jerk reactions. But you have to you have to recognize that it, it is something that is just it, it comes with the territory. And and I, I will say too, I've said this before. I feel like you know you said long-term investor and I feel that was so important because the longer that you remain invested, the less these types of pullbacks hurt. They just don't have the same psychological effect. If you've been investing for 10 years versus someone who's just started investing last year, for example, this this just doesn't hurt as much because the chances are you've got a fairly well diversified portfolio the chances are you've got some good winners in there already and it's a lot easier it's a lot easier to see that seven bagger pull back to like four bagger uh, as opposed to seeing a holding that's down 60 70 80%, right? And and the funny part is that probably the wealth that you're losing in that seven-bagger pulling back to a four-bagger, you're you're losing more wealth in the process, right? But there's that psychology in play. Uh, it just doesn't feel it doesn't feel as bad because you're still sitting on uh so, some nice gains there. So it, it is just it, it it it's difficult in in the present moment to people to convince people to not panic, it is going to be okay. That's probably the biggest challenge we have in our, in our job, but it is just the cost of doing business as you said. <laughs>
0: uh, uh, along those lines, if folks haven't listened to Saturday's episode uh, and the title of the episode is The Fundamentals of Financial Data with Tom Gardner and I.L. Um, Kusner, uh, that is an episode to listen to and probably bookmark or just sort of hold on to because they really walk through the math behind volatility and you know dealing with this type of wild ride. I want to get to something that I know a lot of investors are dealing with. We're getting a lot of questions about this. This is something I'm uh, mulling over uh, as an investor and it is sort of the idea of I've got some cash I've got some stocks that I own that are underwater. I've got some stocks that I own that um, maybe it's that situation you talked about. It's, it's, it's the seven-bagger that's now a four-bagger. I'm, I'm trying to figure out where to deploy my cash. And The reason I wanted to talk to you today was you had recently posted on Twitter that you went back and bought shares of a company you already own shares of, and that's Cloudflare, a yep. cybersecurity company. Um, and I, I wanted to try and get a sense from you of. I, I looked at that, Jason, and I thought to myself, he could have bought anything. He had some cash. He could have bought something new, but he decided to go back and buy shares of something he already owned. And I wanted to get a sense from you of sort of that decision-making process. Sort of how did you figure out? Because again, I'm looking at some things where I'm like, well, this is a winner for me, but it, it's pulled back. Maybe I should put some more money on it. And then I actually do have some of those stocks where it's like, wow, I bought this last year and (laughs) it's 70% lower than where I bought it. Maybe that's where I should be plowing my money. So let's talk about Cloudflare. I'm assuming somewhere you had a watch list and Cloudflare was on it.
1: Yes, I mean Cloudflare is a business that I have admired for a while now, and uh, listeners and and members of our services know it's it's a it's a stock that I recommended uh, over a year ago, and so for me, Cloudflare. You know, when I when I first bought shares of Cloudflare, I I knew buying my initial position, I knew that wasn't going to be the last time I wanted to buy shares of Cloudflare. I basically was opening that position uh, with with the the plan in place of adding opportunistically as as I grew more confident in, in the business, and so uh, you know one one of the sort of behind the scenes things here, a lot of people may not realize is is the, the way we operate here at the Fool. We have um, we have we have internal trading guidelines, right? We have uh, we have guidelines that dictate when and when we cannot buy shares of companies. And and so we we do have to be aware of that. And and so for a long time, Cloudflare, we weren't even able able to buy it. It was it was a restricted stock. It was one that we had we had recommended. Um, and and when we do that, in in order to to remain transparent and and uh, uh, you know not. Front running, I guess, is probably the best word for it. But you know, we we just want to make sure that we're putting our members first always. And and so it, it finally opened back up. It had been locked down for a little while, so it wasn't even available. But I saw that it had been unlocked, and I thought, okay, well now I can I can put this on my list as one that I could I could uh, I could I could target if I really felt like I wanted to add to it. And, and I knew that I wanted to. And so for me, it really boiled down to, you know, this is a business that I I bought maybe a year and a half ago. And it's basically round-tripped. It's kind of come back to, to the initial purchase price, right? And I mean, it had a wonderful 12 months there, but I mean, I, I think we all kind of realized there were there were some of these valuations were just out of out of control. So you, you just sort of take that take that for what it for what it is. Um, and so for me, it basically boiled down to it was a business that I knew I wanted to add more to when I had the opportunity. And when I look at this business today versus the business that I first started analyzing a year and a half ago, this is a stronger company. It's a stronger business today than it was
0: a year and a half ago. How do you quantify that? What, what are one or two things you saw in the business recently where you thought, okay, this is getting better? Was it a metric like, oh, their gross margins are improving or was it something else?
1: No, I, I, that's a great question. And, and for a business like Cloudflare, I mean, as, as many of these uh, as many of these these software companies are, you know, you look at not only the the number of of people that are using the service, but you also look at the growth in big customers. Right, those customers that are. Spending more than $100,000 annually, you look at the really big customers that are spending more than $1 million annually. Uh, you look at those net retention rates. Uh, you look at the actual guidance, um, and I, I'll you know refer to that. Just guidance alone, they just recently in in the in the most recent quarterly uh, report. They, they they're guiding for revenue for the full year to to be 50% uh, higher than than a year ago. Uh, so I mean you are looking at a business that just is growing. And and furthermore I think that with with this business you know one of the things with Cloudflare that's always just impressed me is is leadership and their focus on on the long term, right? They they are just they're not managing this business for Wall Street's expectations. They're basically like, look, man, we're going to invest in this business. We're not going to be profitable profitable for a while, uh, but we know what we're doing is the right thing, and we're pursuing this massive market opportunity. So you you guys, if, if you're on board, great. If not, that's cool too. But they operate under this this thing called the Bezos Rule, uh, which ultimately just says that you know new features that Cloudflare engineers build. For themselves, need to be built using their tools, and ultimately, they basically just frame it as kind of eating their own cooking, right? I mean, they, they believe in themselves so much uh, that that they they continue to operate under this Bezos rule, and and I think, you know, when you look at at the success that Amazon has had with with that mindset, I mean, Amazon is a very special business, right? I mean, it, it's it's. Those those are few and far between, but Cloudflare certainly seems like a business that has taken a lot of those lessons from Jeff Bezos and from Amazon through the years, and they're trying uh, their their darndest to 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 you know operate under that under that same sort of of ideal. And, and to me, that that is is it's absolutely worth a shot, right? And so. It was it was, it was was the sum total of all of those things. The metrics, the key performance indicators tell me this is a stronger business today than it was a year and a half ago. And now, I mean, yeah, you, you could say the business maybe it doesn't look cheap, right? I mean, I'm not going to sit there and tell you it looks cheap, but I think that the valuation looks very reasonable when I look at this and I think, you know what? This is a business I intend on holding. I mean I hopefully can own this thing for the next twenty years that's 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 my that's my mindset there and I think that when you when you can look at it from that perspective uh it it starts to make uh, it starts to make adding to some of those positions a lot easier
0: I know that for a lot of investors um, the concept of a stock hitting a new low, which is you know information that's easy to get your hands on at any given moment it's like oh it's now at a fifty two week low um, th- there's a temptation for some, and I'm guilty of this sometimes, of just thinking, well, I mean, how much lower can this thing go? And, <laughs> and you and I were talking earlier today uh, because the way that the market has gone over the past week in particular um, is starting to remind me a little bit of March 2020. And I realize that was the early days of the pandemic. You know, we have. Vaccines now, uh, you know, we're we're in a different place from a public health standpoint, um, but just in terms of the market environment and the frenzy, because that's what can be kind of scary for us as investors when this is happening. It just seems like oh, it it seems like oh, well, this is the financial collapse, and, <laughs> and here it comes again. But this is money but. Early in the pandemic, I remember you and I were talking about Starbucks, because Starbucks had been in the low nineties and it had fallen very quickly to like the high seventies. And I remember saying, Well, this is cheaper, but this doesn't look like a like a back the truck up kind of moment. But if this thing falls further, if this thing goes down like to sixty or something like that, then I think that's where the emotion of the collective market has gone crazy. And it's like, well, look, this is, yes, these are uncertain times, but come on, this is a solid business underneath it. And I looked at Starbucks today, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. It's history <laughs> repeating itself. It's, it, was, it started the year at 116, it's now in the mid-90s. I don't think it's insanely cheap, but I look at this now, I'm like, well, if this thing goes to 75, I mean, come on. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, that's funny you bring Starbucks up because I, I've that was when I finally actually bought shares of Starbucks. For my retirement portfolio, you know, I was looking for some stability, some income via dividend, and I thought, you know what, I have no clue how I don't own Starbucks at this point. I I drink so much coffee, Um, I, I, you know, I drink so much of their coffee. I really should own this business, and it finally got to the point where I just said, "What are you doing? Just buy it," and and that's what I did back then. I mean, I got, I I opened a position in Starbucks. I don't know, something like fifty-five dollars um and again another another position that I, I i opened that position with the full-on intention of of adding to it opportunistically as as capital became available as, as it becomes available and I'm, I'm absolutely certain that i will add to that position here um it, it really takes me back to that that old saw that warren buffett you know he, he he's he said it, it it was several years back it was in one of his it was one of berkshire sh- berkshire's shareholder letters and he said, and I quote, if you are going to be a net buyer of stocks in the future, you are hurt when stocks rise. You benefit when stocks swoon. End quote. And and I think that's something that's very important to remember, particularly for younger investors. And I put myself in that younger investor category still, Chris. And I'm gonna put you in that category too. I don't think we're looking <laughs> to retire anytime soon. Maybe what maybe the maybe the word Kind of creeps around in our head from time to time. But generally speaking, I would say I would say we're still we're still trying to grow our wealth. And, and and I think that you need to look at this from the perspective of being a net buyer of stocks. And it's just it's so difficult emotionally to see the businesses that you own getting hammered. But when you can look at it from the perspective of being a net buyer, right, you want to own these companies for a long time to come. It starts to make more sense and, and it's it's way easier to do it the longer that you've been doing it right i mean i think that's one of the biggest challenges for a younger investor for a for a newer investor is just they, they don't you have to go through this type of stuff to really actually understand it and, and it can be very difficult i mean we, we say take the emotions out of investing but it's really it's that's probably the toughest part to it because it's your money and, and, and nobody should care more about your money than you do And uh, and and so when you see these businesses, these businesses taking a dip like this, it can be a little frustrating. But when you when you sort of pan out and look at the bigger picture, and look at the business, I mean, think about Starbucks, think about Netflix, think about Amazon. These these companies aren't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, And I'm I'm not telling you to go out and buy those three companies. Please, please don't don't uh, don't don't you know make that leap. I'm, I'm sure think you could probably do dumber things <laughs> than buying those companies at the same time. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's just, uh, you got to frame it through, through that net buyer lens. I think that, that helps make more sense of it.
0: Uh, last thing, and then I'll let you go. Um, I looked this morning. Um, and as you said, we have trading restrictions here at the Motley Fool. And so I, I checked through our internal platform to see if I could buy shares of, of several companies, and I was not able to buy any. So I'm just going <laughs> to share one that's on my watch list, and I would yes. like you to do the same. That's, uh, for me, it's Twilio. I look at I look at a business like Twilio, and uh, again, I wouldn't be talking about Twilio right now if I had actually been able to buy it earlier today. Um, but but that's one where I just sort of look at it. I look at that management team, um, and to me, that's a strong business. I understand that it was at a lofty valuation before, but that's um, uh, that is very very high on my watch list. Uh, To buy the next time I get the clearance. What about you? I I like that mindset, Twilio. Very good business, one that I
1: own, one that I've recommended, one that I absolutely would like to add to if, uh, if and when we do uh, have the have the opportunity uh, via our our trading guidelines here. And uh, you know, I I really do believe. I mean, I I don't want to buy. I don't want to add a new company to my portfolio. There are so many businesses in my portfolio right now that I like so much. And and I want to add to those positions. And so it it for me it's less about a new idea uh and more about adding to these these companies that I own already. Uh I, I mean one that stands out to me that just it, it feels like this just it just just the selling is just over overdone. I mean PayPal just sticks out to me as one that's just kind of a kind of a no-brainer uh these days. I mean, it it, it is it is one where you, you think about the market opportunity. Um, you think about how people are moving money around and how they are managing their financial lives. Uh, PayPal and Venmo and, and Zoom—I mean, all of those brands underneath that umbrella—to me, at PayPal, it, it looks like a really uh, a really low risk, uh, or, or just I, sh- I should say, really a very attractive risk reward scenario
0: today. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. The bold case for many stocks across a broad range of industries includes the same three word phrase China's middle class. If Company X can just capture the attention and consumer spending of China's middle class, well, you know the rest. Here to provide a better understanding. Of China's actual middle class is Motley Fool senior analyst Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. It's a classic tale, isn't it? Really, <laughs> it is. And I was poking some fun, but on a more serious note, you hear this about Chinese companies like Tencent and JD.com. You also yeah. hear this about American companies like Starbucks. So let's start with you know, defining our universe. How big? What a population? is this thing? Yeah. How big are we talking?
2: So the so whenever you talk about China. And you talk about numbers; it always feels like like a cheat code for a game because the numbers are almost invariably massive. The Chinese middle class is currently, and it's defined as having as uh, someone having ten to fifty dollars of spending per day. That's how they define the middle class. That's seven hundred and seven million people, estimated. That's double the, the the population of the United States. Uh, that's about half of the total population of China. The really crazy thing about this, and, the, and 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 why I started with that classic tale, is we've heard this for twenty years. In twenty years ago, the Chinese middle class was three percent of the population, or about forty million people. So, not only is it you know, not only is it big now, but it has grown. You really could describe it as being exponentially in the last
0: two decades. I want to go a little bit macro for just a moment. When you think about real estate in China, because that's one of the big economic storylines coming out of China, similar to the United States at the moment from the standpoint of. It's a hot housing market to the point where there are some people, particularly younger people in China, who maybe they want to buy their first home, but some of them are getting priced out. Yeah, it's a really interesting
2: situation. For for a long time, Chinese citizens, were it was very difficult for them to own Shares in company stocks. And in a lot of cases, they weren't allowed to. So the real estate market in China has been the primary way that they have been generating passive wealth. So, whereas in the US, something on the order of two thirds of households own real estate, in China, it's over 80%. And so, what you have seen in that period of time is a lot of growth in the value of that real estate, especially in what are the the tier one cities, the Shanghai, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, that have increased 13-14% per year for more than a decade. So That's been great for the owners. It's not been great for the new households that are just forming now. It's not so different from the U.S. that way. You're right, in the places where real estate is most in demand, it is also very, very expensive.
0: It's so difficult for investors in America to separate the politics between the U.S. and China, or just broadly North America and China, and business between North America and China. Um, and yet, despite that, we we did recently see a new partnership between Shopify and JD.com. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So Shopify and JD.com uh, have set up a, a, a partnership where all of the Shopify merchant customers now have access to the Chinese market through JD.com's infrastructure and one of the really interesting things about jd.com jd.com is that they have spent billions of dollars making their own shipping network making their own transportation network literally overlaying on the top of what is still a rapidly improving chinese infrastructure they built their own they want it to be essentially white glove service and now as opposed to having to take a year to get set up with shops in China or, or or something of that nature, customers, merchant customers at Shopify, without having to do anything, now have access to a new what they estimate to be five hundred and fifty million. People, class, and market, and so yeah, there are a lot of really interesting partnerships that are going on with with Western companies going into China. Uh, You know, when you hear about hey, we're going to try and capture Chinese, you know, part of the Chinese market, a lot of people think that they need to own Chinese companies. I actually think that that is amongst the less recommended ways that I would do so.
0: Certainly, there are American companies. I mentioned Starbucks before. We could put Apple in there, Nike, Ford, Motor. You could even put in there in terms yeah. of American businesses that do get a decent chunk of revenue, or at least going after a decent chunk of revenue, and really making a play for that Chinese middle class. But if you look at those, um, they seem, as a group, to fall into sort of a a lower risk, lower reward. Standpoint, or do they compared to other companies? You know, you think about companies like Qualcomm, AMD, um, IPG Photonics that get, in some cases, up to seventy percent of their revenue from China. Um, Those are not necessarily consumer brands, though, that necessarily folks in the middle class are going after. So, in terms of trying to Capture the consumer spending of China's middle class. How should investors think about that?
2: Boy, those are three pretty good names, right? Like, I don't think if you were to say Texas Instruments, I don't think there are many people who would think of that as being a knife's edge investment. You know, not something that is going to be made or broken over what's happening in China. I mean, the the company in the S and P 500 that has the highest exposure and revenues to China is Wynn Resorts at about seventy percent because they have casinos in Macau. That actually is a pretty high risk investment just because of regulatory issues in Macau. But Qualcomm. Texas Instrument 50% of their revenues come from China and to me these are foundational companies for the growth and the development in China and and the world. So if you were to ask me if you had a company company X that was very important in a country that is growing by itself at 8% per year in GDP is that a pretty good tailwind? I would say absolutely yes.
0: Last thing before I let you go, what is a company you have your eyes on that we haven't talked about? I mean, there there are a lot of uh, usual suspect type of companies we've discussed here, um, but I know one of the things you like to do as an investor um, is look for smaller companies, uh, ones that are a little bit under the radar. Um, what's one in China that maybe is making a play for the middle class that folks may be less familiar with? You know,
2: Chris, maybe this will seem like it comes from, from, from left field, but one of the companies that I think really has, uh, has a chance to make a huge, huge impression in China is Nintendo. Nintendo, Japanese company, uh, you know, the ticker NTDOY here in the United States, one of the largest video game platform companies and video game companies. Uh, And gaming in China, even with the restrictions that they put in 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 the last year, is massive. And it is a very much a character and a platform driven company. I think that that is a really, really interesting place to look to get more exposure in
0: China. Bill Mann, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. That's all for today. But coming up tomorrow, Allison Southwick and Robert Brokamp bring their unique perspective to the topic every investor has to deal with: risk. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.